Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Well, Dr. Scripture, for two weeks now, we've been listening to an interview you did with the host of a podcast called This Last Hour. Mr. Casey Knowlton has been discussing the commonly held perspective that adherence to a literal interpretation of the Genesis account of creation is silly, similar to believing in a flat earth, and that this perspective is not only found in the secular world, but also within a large portion of the modern church. Yes, unfortunately, Scott, this is true. In some sectors of Christendom, the literal, or as I prefer to describe it, the originalist view of Scripture is considered archaic, oftentimes controversial, and even labeled divisive, under the guise of the Christian faith should be presented as tolerant and inclusive. So then, in response to the notion that belief in a young earth was not silly— He asked for and you explained what you thought were the five best evidences for a young earth. And in the last two programs, you gave those explanations for the five evidences. But since you'll not be talking about that in this installment of your conversation with Casey, would it be a good idea for you to simply share what those five evidences were? Well, sure, Scott. And who knows, maybe it will pique some people's interest that didn't hear those programs to listen to them on our podcast, Scripture on Creation. They're entitled This Last Hour Interview, Parts 1 and 2. And in them, the five best evidences I gave for a young earth were, first, the trustworthiness of the testimony of Scripture, second, the frequent discoveries of soft tissue in dinosaur fossils, third, the implications of recent mitochondrial DNA research, fourth, the degradation of the human genome, and fifth, the results of research on human aging. And I thought it was interesting that the last four evidences you presented were from the field of life sciences, when often evidences against an old earth or for a young earth are marshaled from the physical sciences like astronomy and geology. Mm -hmm. But Dr. Scripture, having finished that portion of the interview, what will you be talking about in this installment of the interview? Basically, we're discussing the importance of creation doctrine, especially as it relates to salvation. So here is more of my interview on This Last Hour with Casey Knowlton. So many well-meaning people within the religious community would question the young earth view saying, you know, it doesn't really matter as it relates to the gospel message, you know, basically Mm -hmm. the the life, death, burial, and resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ, the saving work of Christ for the person who would turn to to them, repent, and believe in his saving work. So what difference, you know, they would say, what difference does the flood and dinosaurs and all the things that we've just discussed have to do with bringing the message of, of salvation to the lost? You know, as a Christian, isn't this an issue that falls outside of our orthodoxy, essentially? Hmm. Uh, in essence, does it really matter if we hold to a different view, older, younger? Ultimately, doesn't it just matter that we believe in Christ and share the gospel? Well, that's a that's a, a good question. And it's one that's uh, near and dear to my heart because uh, I struggled with, with this. You know, I mentioned that I was far from the Lord when I was in college. And so I... I was trained in evolution. I went to Berkeley and yet I always did have questions about it. But then when the Lord turned my life around, I really struggled then with, okay, so now what am I going to do with my belief in evolution? Um, So first of all, let me point out that your 
understanding of creation doctrine is not an issue of salvation. And I, uh, I think it's important that we understand that. There are all kinds of doctrines that born-again believers have differences of opinion on, not just creation. Sure. Thankfully, these things are not required for saving faith. I mean, if we had to have all our doctrine in a row before we were saved, <laughs> well, that's absurd. And of course, there's a lot of people that, that go down that route. Oh, if you don't believe what my church believes, you know, if you don't believe what my denomination believes or my little uh, cloister or whatever, you know, well, then you know, you're, you're not one of us and you're not saved. That's, that's devastating to... Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the gospel. But I do think that when a person compromises, uh, let, we'll just deal with, with our, our topic, uh, creation. They are setting themselves up for some real pitfalls because what they indeed are doing is they are changing the simple understanding of scripture to fit whatever. And someone else then can come along and challenge the next thing. Well, okay, so if that's not what the Bible means there in Genesis 1 or in Genesis 6 or whatever, why do you say that the Bible means this when it comes to Jonah? Or why does do you think the Bible means this when it comes to David and Goliath? And of course, ultimately, why do you think the Bible means this when it comes to Jesus actually literally raising from the dead? And Casey, that's where it always ends up coming around to, the resurrection. Because mm-hmm. belief in the resurrection is an issue of salvation. Yes. Paul makes the gospel very clear. The New Testament makes the gospel very clear. And it is not just that Jesus died for my sins. The gospel is that Jesus died for my sins and raised from the dead. There is a miraculous element in the gospel. It requires faith to trust his word that Jesus literally came, died, and rose again. And so when we start tinkering, quote unquote, with the miracles, starting with creation, the enemy always ends up bringing it around to the resurrection. And then what do we have? Well, we've just got this story, this little Easter bunny butterfly story of, well, just live a good life. And, but I mean, this idea that you're going to be raised from the dead and live forever, come on, grow up. Let's be sophisticated. Let's be intellectual. You know, you choose to live, quote unquote, a good life. I choose to live, you know, a hedonistic life. What's the difference? That is where the gospel message of you're a sinner and you need Jesus to pay for your sins by dying on the cross. And he proved that he did this by literally raising from the dead. And you have the hope of eternal life. That is the essence of the gospel. And so I don't have to have a correct understanding of creation to believe that Jesus died for my sins and he raised from the dead. But if you compromise on these miracles, if you start saying that that's not what the Bible really means, you are setting yourself up for some real intellectual crises down the road. So I do think that it's important. I think that there are numerous doctrines that are based on those early chapters of Genesis. And let's face it, we are all inconsistent here and there. I am the last person on earth that would say, I have every doctrine correct. I have no more reason to ever study the scriptures and change my view on this, that, or the other thing. 
Now, Casey, I'm not talking about throwing out the deity of Christ and these kinds of things, but of course. I trust you understand what I mean. I mean, we all adjust. I look back at what I believed 10 years ago, and I see changes in my understanding of scripture here and there. I hope everyone does. But uh, when we start throwing out some of these basic doctrines or say they're not important, I would beg to differ. I think that these things are important, and our goal should be to try and come to a proper understanding of Scripture through our lifetime of studying and getting to know not only the Bible, but getting to know the know our God better and better through the years. You know, for centuries, the church did seem to hold quite closely to a very literal understanding of Genesis, mm-hmm. especially those first 11 chapters, which are the most debated in this day and age. And more and more, we now have seen this sort of disintegration of Genesis within the church, the literal view of the book now really being the exception to the rule. So why, right. why have so many in the faith abandoned this for other interpretations, even in light of all the evidence you've already shared? I would say that decades ago, and especially back in Darwin's day, so we're talking over 100 years ago, there was very little, might we say, scientific evidence to refute what appeared to be uh, the scientists presenting very, very strong reasons to really question what the Bible said. Uh, Scientists were presenting contradictory information, it seemed, to the Genesis record. And so it put people in a real quandary. For example, the reconstruction theory or gap theory, as it's sometimes called, I can sympathize with those brothers and sisters of generations ago that were under extreme pressure. And so they came up with a way of explaining how you could get all this time, squeeze it between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. They believed the Bible literally, but they sort of tinkered a little bit with their interpretation of Genesis 1-2. I sympathize with that. I'm not saying that they were correct in doing that, but I sympathize with it. But now, We have so much evidence that I don't think that there's any excuse for not looking into these things and recognizing that what the evolutionary scientific community is presenting is just wrong, and there is plenty to contradict it. I would say that that initial pressure that they felt intellectually is the first reason, but that was something that was generations ago. We might say even up to several decades ago. The second reason, and I think the reason that so much of these evolutionary proposals are held on to today, is pressure to conform to this very idea that we've been discussing. Oh, if you believe that the earth is young, if you believe in creation, you know, you're just a a wacko. And people don't like to be pigeonholed like that. People don't like to be called silly and foolish. So there's that just simple pressure from the world to conform. And That, unfortunately, is something that a Christian dare not do, and yet they are doing it in droves. They want to be accepted. So often the explanation is, oh, we want to have common ground so we can present the gospel to these people. I would submit that the foundation of progressive creation, Hugh Ross and and his disciples, started with the desire to, quote unquote, have this common ground so that people wouldn't just dismiss them as, quote unquote, creationists, and they could then talk to them about the gospel. Well, that may be a good motivation, but from my perspective, is the first thing that we do when we're going to introduce a person to the Bible to tell them about Jesus Christ, 
is to compromise the first chapter of the Bible and say, well, but that's not true. That's not what that means. What kind of a foundation are we giving this person when we then turn around and tell them, well, you're a sinner and Jesus died for your sins. He raised from the dead and they go, well, how do you know that that's true if the account of creation isn't true? So I do not buy this idea of, well, we're trying to form a common ground. We want them to at least be willing to listen to us. I don't buy that. I don't think that that's a valid way of beginning our presentation of the gospel. Well, Dr. Scripture, all these excerpts from your interview on this last hour were relevant to issues the church is facing in these last days, or this last hour, as Casey's podcast calls these times we're living in. Yes, Scott. And I think these are exciting and certainly challenging days for those who would stand up and defend their faith in the Word of God, in creation, and most importantly, in their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The world is getting more adversarial to Christianity every day, but this should not surprise or intimidate the true child of God. Jesus said in John 15, verses 18 and 19, If the world hates you, you know it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says. 